0: Hello, welcome to the Healthy For Men Podumentary Series. My name's Tom Rowley. I'm the editor of Healthy For Men magazine. Before we get going, just a quick partnership announcement. This episode is brought to you by Bounce Foods. Now, Bounce's mission is to inspire positive change in the way people eat, think and live which is what the Healthy for Men Podumentary series is all about. If you haven't tried Bounce Balls before, they're full of high-quality protein, high-quality vitamins and minerals, and they're great for when you're on the go and you need a quick snack. There's also a vegan option called V-Life, which are made from almonds and plant protein. Super tasty, super convenient. Grab a Bounce Ball from any Holland and Barrett store throughout the UK or visit bouncefoods.com for more information. Hello, thank you for downloading this episode of the Healthy for Men podumentary series in association with Holland and Barrett. My name is Tom Rowley, I'm the editor of Healthy for Men magazine. And in this bonus episode, we speak with the UK's leading life coach, Michael Serwa. Now, Michael has spoken at over 250 events across the UK, he's written his own personal development book. He's also appeared on the BBC and featured in programs like Made in Chelsea. He's contributed articles to the likes of Forbes, The Telegraph, Evening Standard, Metro and Square Mile. So we wanted to speak to Michael to see what we could learn about personal development and what it means to be a life coach. I hope you enjoy this episode with Michael Serwa and thank you very much for downloading.
1: My name is Michael Sewa. I'm the coach for the elite.
0: Could you explain to me what that means? I coach
1: winners using my signature approach, um, that different types of life coaching, um, the way I work is very direct. It's unique in a sense that I don't just ask leading questions, which is what 95% of my industry does. When I know the answer, I just say it. right? And the people I work with, which are very often CEOs and other high net worth individuals, they're very short on time. They want someone to freaking tell them what's right in front of them. They want to tell them what they can't see themselves. They don't need someone to hold their hand and, and babysit them. They don't know what they need to do. They, they, they very often know what they need to do. They just don't do it. So um, it's what I do, it's a very direct type of personal coaching, basically performance coaching. It's very direct, very, very result-oriented. Um, and, you know, I find that in order for me to get results as soon as possible or as fast as possible... Directness helps because you cut through the chase and you get to the bottom of what needs to be dealt with.
0: Absolutely. So what's the most common kind of problem you're presented with from these people?
1: It's a question I get to I get to answer quite a lot. And, and there's no simple answer because there's not one thing that stands out. When I meet someone for the initial consultation, which is the first step towards us potentially working together, I have around 200 of those every year. The first thing I do, or one of the first things I do during these consultations is... I asked them to score themselves on a number of 25 areas. Anything you can think of, love, life, career, finance, confidence, motivation level, self-love, time management, organization skills, you name it, fitness, weight, diet, etc., will be there. And there's 24 areas, and then 25th one is the general happiness score. And this is the fascinating part. I mean, fascinating for me anyway. This general happiness score at the bottom is almost always the exact average of all the other scores. right. So when people ask me because I'm the guru, right? There's no secret. Your happiness, your general life satisfaction will depend on how satisfied you are in those 24 areas of your life, right? So to to your question, there's 24 different areas and there's the happiness itself. and, And I work with people in all of those areas. It's rarely just one area. It's usually a combination of different areas. So my typical clients are already financially successful. So they don't come here because they need more money. They already have more money that they can spend. But you see, they often build that wealth or that financial success or career success to the detriment of other areas. Yeah, but in the same time, I can't say that every single person I work with, it's that. Or even majority of my clients face that challenge, right? So it's common. Then there will be relationship coaching. There will be confidence coaching. There will be career coaching. People going from corporate career to entrepreneurship. It's never the other way around, funny enough. Um, People wanting to progress within their corporate career. People want to grow their business, right? So here is an interesting fact that not many people know know about. Life coaching originated from sport coaching. There is more parallels between how we work with our non-athlete clients And how sport coaches work with the athlete clients than there is between coaching and therapy, right? So the people I work with, they're high performers. They are life equivalents of Olympic athletes. And they come to me, they come to me not because they struggle. They don't struggle, right? They're highly functional individuals. But just like a tennis player or a, a, a football team or a weightlifter would have a coach, right they know more about weightlifting than their coach typically if it's, if it's a weightlifter right the footballers can play football better than the football coaches why do they need coaches because no matter how successful you are in your in your game right in the game you play you can never see your blind spots you can never see yourself the way other people see you right you you, you can ne- you never see yourself from the outside so w- what I do i i hold a mirror for my clients so, hey listen not that, that's how you look, not not the way you say. And typically it's like, oh, I can't do this. I'm like, no, no, of course you can. You see yourself as this limited individual in terms of your options. I'm telling you, I'm limitless. I'm telling you, there's nothing you cannot do. And you spend three months with me hearing that over and over again. And sooner or later you're gonna get it, right? And you know, whether it is, I had a client, his goal was, he was very successful already. Like I want to be a billionaire. Right? I had a client, I had two clients, one I still work with, who um, want to run for presidents of the countries. And that's a very interesting conversation with very interesting people. I had a client who wanted to uh, bring the world peace. So she was already a client, we have the first session, what is it that you really want? Nice girl, she used to work for Google. What is it that you like really want? What's the, what, if you could do one thing in life, if you can achieve one thing in life, what would that be? She said, I would like to bring the world peace. And she laughed. And I'm like, what are you laughing at? Because I didn't laugh. Like I'm just listening to her I'm like, what are you laughing at? I know I'm just used to like, Every time I say it, people like, laugh. I'm like, do you see me laughing? Come on, let's do this. You know, somebody's got to do it. I'm not going to do it because I have no desire to do it. But like, if you have desire to do it, I'm going to help you do it. And then I went on just to give you an idea of how I, how I work and how I think. Then I asked about 10 most inspiring people as far as world peace uh, is concerned and bringing a world peace in the history of humankind. So we ended up with, I got, I got a whiteboard out, which I have conveniently positioned there in the kitchen. As you expect from a coach who works from home and who doesn't cook. Uh, this whiteboard always ready next to the empty fridge. And I said, okay, so what are this, those, te- those 10 people? And um, we came up with a list of, what was it? there was cheeses, there was Gandhi, there was Mother Teresa, there was Oprah, there was Martin Luther King and a bunch of other people. And I went one by one and I proved to her that none of those ten people were any better than she is. And whatever they could do, she can do and more.
0: How did you do that? It's not that it's
1: not the hard when you think about it, because I'll give you an example. So um let's say Oprah. You tell me, I say to my guy, you tell me what does Opera have that you don't have? She couldn't answer that. Now, bear in mind, I don't work with random people from the street. I don't work with losers. I say I work with winners, right? So my clients, they can do anything, right? It's just, I know it and sometimes they doubt it. So we work together for three months typically. And the main focus of those three months of coaching is to close that gap between what they think is possible for them and what I know is possible for them. Yes. Yeah? so when I ask, I never once ask a client to tell me, what that person, if we compare them to potentially somebody else, when I ask them for me to, for them to tell me what is it that those people have and they don't have, they can't answer that question. And it's a, it's a very simple exercise, we can call it, yet very effective because it makes people realize that, you know, everything is possible. Impossible is nothing.
0: So what is the difference between someone that you would see, uh, who is a winner as you, as you would describe them, uh, and someone who isn't a winner? What is this? Is there a key difference between those two? Yeah.
1: Okay. So you know, there is, there is no, it's not like you can go on Wikipedia and find a definition of a winner, loser. So I'm just going to tell you like how I see it. And, and it's just like, you know, and it's just one of the criterias. It's not, it's, it's, not that hard to, sorry, it's not that easy to define it. Even for me, it's like, ooh, winner, loser. It's not, it's not, there's lots of gray area and there's lots of different, you know, types of people, etc. And I know I'm generalizing when I say that, but um, for me, someone, when I say loser is someone with a loser mentality. And what I mean by that is first and foremost, someone who doesn't take responsibility for where they are in life. You can have someone whose, whose net worth is huge amount, who is just whatever. They look great, but I can see them as a loser. So it's none of the like, oh yeah, okay. If someone is broke, then it's a loser. Someone is rich. No, it's, it's, it's not that simple, right? But it's the, the key here for me is someone who takes responsibilities. Okay, I'm fat, but that's not because of the food industry, right? Um, and I hear things like that. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, why are you fat? Because of the food industry. I mean, seriously. What are you talking about? You know, you are fat because you make wrong choices. You are responsible for being fat. If you, if you're not happy being fat, like if you're happy being fat, I don't care. You know, I don't mind fat people. I don't mind broke people. I don't mind unattractive people. I don't mind whatever. But like you got to own it. And from a, from a transformation, coaching, uh, personal development point of view, you practically have no chance of changing unless you take responsibility. Because if you don't take responsibility, if you have this loser mentality, you're basically in a victim position. And the problem with being a victim, like I don't judge and I don't care. I'm just gonna stay away from you, but like, you know, I love everybody, believe it or not. But the problem with being a victim is that a victim is powerless. You can't help yourself. You can't, You can't. how are you gonna go about losing weight, right? If you are if you believe that it's not your fault how can you help yourself or how can i help you if you so i could by potentially reframing that from hey listen you know i could potentially help you with that but we could first we we would have to first reframe your your thinking right change your thinking because i can only help you if you take responsibility for where you are and if you do then there's nothing that you cannot do and coaching use coaching as that vehicle that can dramatically speed up the process of change. I'm I'm the first one to say, whatever I can accomplish with my clients, they can accomplish themselves. It's just that with my help or with the help of someone like me, they can get the dramatically faster, right? Having more fun and less stress. Yeah, It's, it's like going to the gym, having some fitness goals and having a personal trainer with you, next to you all the time you're there versus not having it. You don't need to have a, as you would know better than most people, you don't need to have a personal trainer to accomplish your fitness goals, but it's just easier, faster, and more fun if you do, right? And some people will quit unless there's a personal trainer. When they don't see results fast enough, they will just quit. So personal trainer, if they commit to let's say three or six months with a personal trainer, they're much more likely to stick to their commitment, right? So that's another benefit because Yes, my clients can do themselves what I help them to do, but also there is a risk of them never getting to the finishing line if it wasn't for me. Even even my clients, even people who pay upfront, front, et etc., which is how I operate, even they quit sometimes. They pay upfront and they pay a lot for the service. I'm there for them and they know it and they will just quit. Occasionally, a few times a year it happens, people just quit. Because if they don't care, I don't care. I'm. I certainly won't be chasing them. They know that I'm there for them, and I know it's not about me. They don't want it badly enough, and I'm like, it's your f-ing life. Rule number one: I will never care about my clients' goals more than they care themselves. You know, if they don't care, I don't care. You know, and the more they care, the more I care. So it's like I'm not. I'm. I, I, I'm not interested in babysitting anyone. It's very rare occurrence because like I said, the people I work with the last few years, especially, um, they're very serious. They come on time, they, they're prepared, they've done their homework, they're getting ready for anything.
0: So, I mean, you've obviously got a very stoic attitude generally towards, towards life, which is fantastic. I think a lot of people could take Pages out of your book personally. Could you tell me how you got there? How you got to this position you're in now? Okay, so I had a
1: very now I don't have a backstory, or you know, my parents kicked me out. I don't have that kind of story. It's a very regular childhood, very regular family in a very regular country, right? Um everything was kind of normal. I was displaying, I've been told, I didn't realize it at the time, but I've been told. Um, but my mom, who would bump into kindergarten teachers or like my teachers, and they would they would tell my mother about my supreme, I, like I said, I wasn't aware of that at the time. My supreme leadership skills, how I would have other kids to follow me, whatever I was doing, you know. So, which is important in my line of work right now because my clients have to follow me in a way, right? I'm the, I have to, they have to see me as a leader in order for them to hire me. They wouldn't, they wouldn't hire me. So very useful characteristic. Obviously I wasn't reading leadership books when I was five years old, six years old. So that's something I had in me. But other than that, I was, you know, just, a, just a normal kid. Getting good grades, um, doing sports, chasing girls. But then, um, there was a, there was a turning point in my life where at 17 being one of the best high schools in my city, I meant to be a doctor or lawyer, right? And it was clear for everybody that I'm going to be a doctor or lawyer. But then I was bored at school. And people ask me, do you regret that you quit school at 17? I'm like, I regret I didn't do it when I was 16, but I didn't have the balls yet to to to, to face my parents. But then at 17, I, you know, I found the balls, I quit. It was such an unpopular decision. Like nobody in Poland does it. Here we hear about Alan Sugar. We hear about Richard Branson in states, Steve Jobs, yeah, Mark, Mark Zuckerberg, high school or, or, or whatever, uh, college dropouts. In Poland, nobody does it. Only total morons. People who don't have the mental capacity to graduate, don't graduate, right? You need to have a, a master's degree in Poland to be a manager of Starbucks. They won't give you a job, a, a manager position, unless you have a master's degree could be geography. It's just, it's the whole country. I think Eastern Europe in general, they are fixated on education. And here I am, age 17, I quit school. Um, so all sorts of different things, because my parents are like, okay, if you're not going to go to school, if you're not going to study, you're going to have to make your own money. I'm like, that's fair enough. So I've been making my own money, uh, providing for myself from the age of 17. That definitely helped me to mature faster as well. Um, I never blame my parents for it. Uh, you know, I would do the same with my own kid. Okay, if you're such a free spirit, <laughs> go and fucking work now. You know, so not like they had that much money anyway, but I never held it against them. So long story short, I've done all sorts of things. I had my art period when I was playing trumpet and and piano, and I was involved in the theater and, and stuff like that. I was reading a lot. Um, then I had my party period, you know, when I was taking and all sorts of stuff. Um, and then I came to London at 22 and after, uh, uh you know, on the bus for 27 hours because I couldn't afford the plane ticket, I certainly don't recommend it. Uh, and then I got here and I spent first two weeks on the squat in Southeast London because I didn't have money for the rent, you know, um. Had a very successful career in fashion retail. That was my first career before getting into coaching. Um, not because I thought that this is my calling or anything like that. It's just, I came here, I needed to make money. I was responsible. I was like, I want to make as much money as fast as possible. I was with a girlfriend as well. She was a bit high maintenance. So I had additional reason to push myself. And I remember I had an interview for a sales assistant in this shop. And this guy asked me, one of the questions he asked me was, so how do you see yourself in this company? How do you see your future here? I looked him in the eye, I pointed at him. I said, I want your job as soon as possible. And he laughed, obviously. And then nine months after this interview, I took over his position, which was the fastest promotion for someone without the other retail experience in the history of that company in the UK, right? And said one of the biggest companies, like fashion companies. So, you know, I said that came here without money, but I came here with this enormous amount of attitude, and hunger and desire, yeah? Something that I discovered in myself around the age of 16, 17, that I want to be great at something, right? So even though there's no history of greatness of any kind in my family, just a regular family, very nice, regular, right? I'm by far the most successful person in my family now, when I think about it. So there was not like, oh, I want to be as successful as my father, oh. There was no extreme poverty either. Like, you know, like, a Cape Cove artists talk about, you know, I've been, you know, spend my whole childhood on the floor with five siblings and that that motivated me to have a different kind of life. I don't have that kind of story uh, either. So I can't really explain and pinpoint why I'm so driven from the age of 16, 17, why I'm so hungry for success, right? Um, I just am, you know? And uh, coming back to your original question, at the age of 27, I got into personal development. I read The Secret, which is the first book I read in a, in, a, in a kind of personal development field. I've been into psychology before. Um, I've always been interested in people and always been good with people. Uh, but then at 23, so, so, so uh, 12 years ago, I really got into personal development. And then at the age of 27, after already making some changes in my own life and reading lots of books and going to lots of events, etc., and having a good understanding of personal development, I discovered coaching as a career and, and uh, you know, the rest is uh, history. Set up my website 28, seven years ago now, almost, again, with uh, with a clear objective in mind that, okay, I'm going to be doing this anyway, I might as well be the best, right? Now, the whole, the best thing, unfortunately, in my industry, it's subjective, so I'm like, okay, can be the best to myself to my mother to my friends to my uh, my clients but that's subjective but one thing that's not subjective is money right so the actual goal what well, I really wanted this to be the best but the goal I set for myself to be to be the highest paid because that's measurable and I wanted to use a criteria that I can measure myself against other coaches right um, so it took me... I started very small at £20 per session. So very humble beginnings. I didn't know what I was doing, right? I experimented on my first clients. But because I was charging £20 per session, I still delivered value at £20 per session because the pressure was very... I mean, I put pressure on myself, but the pressure they were putting on me and the results they wanted to get out of coaching was limited because if you pay £20 for a service that the average price in the country is 75 to £100, then... know, manage your expectations. What kind of
0: problems were they presenting you with? Similar
1: problems, slightly different people, different caliber of people, but similar problems, you know? Um, You see, I find that rich people don't necessarily have complete different problems to everybody else. It's everybody else who thinks that they have different problems. Everybody else thinks that they are somehow different. They're not. They are not. And now I'm, you know, I wouldn't say I'm rich myself, but I'm definitely closer to being rich than being poor. I have the same problem as everybody else, you know? It, it's it's not, it, Money doesn't change you that much, you know, if, if at all. I believe that money exaggerates, that's my, that's my that's my theory. I believe that money exaggerates who you are. So if you're an asshole, you will make some serious money. You're gonna be more of an asshole. You're gonna be louder asshole. And if you're a nice person, you make fortune, you're gonna become a philanthropist. When I discovered coaching as a career, that was a missing piece of the puzzle for me. So I already had my 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 sorted out overall. I've done lots of work on myself in terms of confidence, in terms of dating, in terms of spirituality even. One thing that was missing was for me to do something I was passionate about. Because like I said, I was good at retail. Um, But I believe that if you're smart... And if you have a decent set of people skills, you're going to be good at many things. So if you say, yeah, I don't really like my job, but I'm good at it. So my friends say, I I shouldn't quit my job because I'm good at it. I'm like, so what? Shall I stick to it because I was good at it? No, like you never want to stop looking for that thing that will get you out of bed in the morning with a smile on your face. I'm not saying I always wake up with a smile on my face in the morning, but... As soon as I have enough time to remind myself how great my life is, how great of a life I've built for myself, there is a smile. You know, it's not necessarily like on the outside, but on the inside, there's always a smile because I've built this life for myself and it's as close to perfect as a life can be. And that's one of the things when people ask me, what makes you, qu-? I had an interview with, I think the Guardian or anyway. So what makes you qualified to be a coach? Like, well, first and foremost, I have an f- amazing life myself. So when people come to me, I can talk to them with confidence that creating an amazing life is possible. Because, you know, my background, it wasn't always amazing, you know. I was useless with women. I was broke. I could barely speak language. I was on the squat, right, as I told you. And, and here I am in the penthouse in Mayfair, crushing it. There's abundance in my life right now. And there was a scarcity before. So when, when I found a vehicle coaching, I announced to people... A long time before I became the highest-paid coach in the country, that I will become the highest-paid coach in the country. And it's interesting because I remember this one guy in particular who was a coach as well. He was like, "I believe you," because I was saying that with so much conviction. He's like, I, "I believe you," and that was like me only coaching for two years, and I was like, "I will be the high, I will be the highest-paid." Like just like I'm telling you right now, I will be the highest-paid coach in the world in the next twenty years. If I don't die, I will be. So there's two, there's two people that need to retire for me to take that spot. I don't think I can they too far ahead of me for me to catch up on them. One of them is Tony Robbins, who's been like coaching forty years and he's like fifty-five, whatever. So I'm not in a rush because I'm here for a long, you know, for a long. This is a this is a long-term thing for me. This is not like I'm in a rush. It's like I'm enjoying every day. I love I love I love my life. I love my work. I love my clients. I'm not in a rush. In a way, if I was to achieve that already, w- w- what am I working towards now? You know, it's, it's always important to have goals, new goals, bigger goals.
0: So what do you enjoy most about talking to your clients?
1: I, listen, I, first and foremost, I enjoy the company. Yeah, sometimes, most of the time I take it for granted because I'm so used to it. But when I take the time to remind myself as soon as I will look at my schedule for for the following day or in the morning schedule for the day and like, okay, who am I seeing today? And apart from doing interviews like that, I will have up to three meetings per day between seeing clients and running initial consultations. Right? So I find that bear in mind, up to two hours. So, so I find that six hours of diets, you know, I'm done mentally. I'm, you know, I need to go to sleep kind of thing or just watch Netflix or just not work. Um, and I, I would look at my schedule. And like, I can't believe this. I'll get to spend time. Consultations, you never know who you're going to meet, but typically they're very nice people. They're future clients, typically, you know, so it's the same type people typically with some exceptions. I just think. about it. I get to spend time with these people and they pay me for it. And they pay me a lot. They pay me for two, I don't charge per session, but they pay me for two hours with them what I had to work a month to make in freaking retail. It blows my mind. Do you feel like you learn from them? When I say I learn from my clients, what I mean by that is I learn about life. I learn about success. I learn about the difference between success and failure because they're often very successful already. So I get to learn from them about how they think, and then I can use that for myself. So basically they pay me for me to learn from them. It's pretty cool. know, yeah, it's, gr- it's great. I can spend time with them, have those conversations. They're very easygoing. going. Um, we know what we work towards. 95% of the time they know they get exactly what they wanted out of it. And as I was saying earlier, when we do this exercise, during this initial consultation, 25 areas and scores, we do the same exercise at the end. So when I talk about my success rate, it's not based on my, just what I think. Like there's the evidence for it. It's like personal trainers, they will take a picture before and after, if they do like a body transformation. And we can clearly see, oh, no six pack, six pack, right? So I find that those scores, that I, I collect is the closest I can get to picture evidence that uh, personal trainers can have, you know, so, and then people can see this as well. And then they often surprised that they score themselves so low three months ago, because they, it's easy to forget how bad they felt on about certain areas of their life, or in general. And then they see the new scores. Wow, this is a
0: So it'll be interesting to get your opinion on the broader picture. Uh, so, as you probably know, um, a lot of what the media has been talking about is anxiety as a general disorder, like an epidemic. Uh, so, whether it's uh, technology, whether it's uh, stress at work, whatever it is, it seems to be this kind of uprising. You have more and more celebrities coming out now, like, oh, I'm suffering from anxiety. Um, writing articles about it, um, and it's become known as a kind of modern disease. Do you have any opinion on on that as 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 a phenomenon itself? My take
1: on anxiety is very similar to my take on depression. Here it goes. I'm aware that there is clinical depression, but in my opinion, nine out of ten people who say they're depressed they haven't been diagnosed or they have been wrongly diagnosed with clinical depression. They have what I call a lifestyle depression. And it's the same with anxiety. And the fact, as you said, it's this new thing. I won't be talking about ways of dealing with a clinical depression or let's say, I don't know if this is the right term, but like clinical anxiety, because I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a medical doctor. Right. Um, but the amount of times I would work with someone who said, I have an anxiety, what are you anxious about? Or public speaking. I get really nervous. I say, guess what? Public speaking, Public speaking. I talk about in my book, public speaking is the biggest fear people have. 52% of people have a fear of public speaking. You're not, you're not, you, know, you don't need medication for that. You just need to get your ass on the stage. And if you do it 10 times, you will see how your anxiety is dissolving right? So, it's very easy to sort ourselves on a story. And I appreciate this. is. I I want to emphasize the difference between the two. I appreciate there's a difference between the two because I don't want to oversimplify the issue. Because if you have a clinical depression, for example, which is basically biochemical disbalance, this needs to be treated or can be treated. And you supplement that disbalance with medication, right? What I say is, identify what makes you unhappy. So if everything is that, like, if if I felt unhappy having the life that I have, first thing I think of, biochemical disbalance. Because I can honestly look at my life, like, okay, I'm happy in this area, I'm happy in this area, I'm happy in this area, I'm in good health, fitness, whatever. So if I felt really low for a, for a, for more than a few weeks, I would probably think, hmm, it's my body fucking with me. Let me get it checked out. And maybe, the kind of depression I would have would be the clinical one, because my life is in order. And I know that, right? Because I've, I've designed it that way and I'm very self-aware, whatever I can assess it. Um, so when I say, hey, before you go to a GP, first of all, ask yourself how happy you are in different areas of your life. Because of course, if you hate your job or if you can't stand your partner, Or if you hate the city you live in or the flat you live in, of course you're not going to wake up in the morning feeling excited. But that doesn't make you depressed. You want to be really careful when it comes to putting labels on yourself and on other people. No. No, I believe that maybe there's one or two people out of ten who say they're depressed. They're actually depressed and they need to be treated. The rest should stay way away from, from medication and look into their life and the best thing they can do is to have a coaching consultation with someone. They don't need to pay for it. They're free of charge. Just have a consultation. And let the coach tell you what they think. Don't go to a doctor straight away, go to a coach first. And then if a coach cannot help you, then you want to get whatever goes into, diagn- that, you know, diagnosing someone with, uh, with a clinical depression. So I know I was using example of a depression, you asked about anxiety, I think it is, I I believe there's very, very similar in terms of how many people are actually, you know, suffering from depression, anxiety, and how many just don't feel happy with their life as a whole or certain area of the life. And they just, because they don't know any better. So I don't blame them because it's just a lack of education. Like, you know, they don't teach us those things at school. I was clueless about those things until I became a coach and starting to learn about it myself. Not coaching... First of all, you know, if coaching is what you need, it takes approximately three months. Whoever you work with, it's gonna take three months. It doesn't have to be expensive at all, right? If you really do, if you're listening to this and you're like, okay, that sounds great, but like, I don't have money for coaching. There's a website called um, coachmefree.co.uk, which is a basically directory of trainee coaches, coaching for free. They're looking for practice clients. You know, that's like kind of like when I started, I wasn't coaching for free, but I was charging 20 pounds per session and I was still helping people. So the, the the lack of money is not an excuse. You know, you don't need to work with the highest paid guy in the country. You don't probably need to, you know, but just get yourself the best coach you can find if you don't feel great, because that's what we do. We take people from a functional level to an exceptional level. If you feel dysfunctional, so many coaches, myself in the past included, who would take on someone who is kind of in a dysfunctional level. So let's say two out of 10 on a happiness level. And we can easily take that to six out of 10, easily. And now my coach helped me see that clearly for what it is. I think that's great news. And you see, I was talking earlier how from the early, um, from the early stage of my career, I wanted to be the highest paid coach in, 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 in the UK to begin with. That was kind of more selfish goal for my ego. I accomplished that a few years ago, but then also a few years ago, I developed another, much bigger goal. And the goal is to bring awareness to life coaching in this country. I know that as human beings, we tend to criticize things we don't understand. And many people just don't understand coaching. They think it's something weird, right? Because it's new. I heard about sport coaching, like personal training therapy, but this life coaching sounds a bit weird, American, you know? And it, it did come from America, but California, but uh, there's nothing weird about it. And whoever would spend two hours with me having this consultation would see it clearly that, you know, I'm not weird. I like to think I'm not, I'm not weird. And there's nothing weird about coaching. There are some weird coaches, but there are some weird personal trainers and weird lawyers and weird uh, politicians, right? Like there's there weird people everywhere in every industry. I mean, but um, the, the first step towards more people hiring coaches is for people to understand what coaching is what are the benefits of it and and the more in the the, the more people here just you know even hearing the, the oh, life coaching life coaching and I hear it five times and then they hear it the sixth time oh yeah life coaching yeah life coaching I remember I was, uh, I was coaching a guy on Made in Chelsea last year. Not my favorite show. I'm the first one to admit. Uh, but, uh, hey, you know, there's this guy. Could you coach him for one of the episodes? I said, yeah, sure. Um, people who I coach do not watch that show. Again, I knew I'm not going to get 10 phone calls. Fine, let's do it. It's good for the industry. It's good for It's good for coaching. Considering how many people watch that show, right? And um, according to my PR people, this was the first time life coaching was featured in a, in a mainstream media. It was the first time there was a life coach on the mainstream media coaching someone. Not the first time the term life coaching appeared on the on media, but like the f- was first, first time there was coaching captured on a, on a mainstream media. So I think that's huge. Not for me, I, I, I did get one client on the back of that, which was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm still surprised. But <laughs> so... You know, in terms of the personal reward, very limited. Um, I think it was great for the industry. So many people heard about life coaching for the very first time. So many young people, especially, because young people usually watch uh, Made in Chelsea, I would imagine. So many young people heard about it for the first time. And I know it's great. I know it's great, but if you don't know what it is, you can't you can't take advantage of it. You know, there's so, I know so many amazing coaches. I've coached a lot of them myself. I mean, they came to me for coaching. Uh, there's just so many great coaches out there. And and whatever it is that you need help with, there will be a perfect coach for you if you look hard enough. Or if you ask me, I'll tell you who it is. If you look hard enough, the coach specializing in many different things. They have different personalities. They're, they're male, female. They speak all different languages. And there's so many coaches, you know? It's like you think, oh, it's like this niche industry, how many coaches there might be. That's a lot. But bear in mind that at least half of the people who receive coaching, they don't talk openly about the fact they have a coach, which is a bit of a difficulty when it comes to getting referrals. Because if nobody knows about the fact I work with someone, they're not gonna send me 10 referrals. But uh, you know, it is what it is. When the perception of the industry changes, that will change as well. People will be more open about saying, just like in America, nobody hides the fact they have a shrink. Like, hey, you don't have a shrink. Like, well, you can't afford you, you can't afford it. You know, like what's wrong with you? Yeah, nobody hides the fact they have a personal trainer. People brag about having a personal trainer. So, hey, my PT. Like, they use every opportunity to say, hey, my PT, this. My I I do it, you know. I find myself studio oh, yeah, well, my PT. So I wanna get to the point that I know it's just a matter of time, maybe 10 years, when people say as openly about having a life coach as they now say about having a PT. And as many people will have experience of life coaching as people have experience of uh, personal training
0: well hopefully one day i'll be able to afford you michael ah. and then i will brag about it to all my friends so uh, but thank you very much for your time um yeah we've i mean we, we've yeah you meant to be were can't we've believe run you client, me <laughs> <laughs> on the idea of half an hour and then uh, two, five hours later we're still here i look really look forward to sharing it with you so yeah thank you very much for your time you're very michael. welcome um, yeah, any uh... any time any time